Welcome again to Sundays at Grace, the preaching ministry of Robinson Grace Church in Grand Haven, Michigan. Again, I'm Pastor Bill, and again, I am so very grateful that you have tuned in to this this edition of the podcast. Now, for several weeks, we've been in this series, 2020 Vision, Seeing Our Life Through God's Eyes, and talking specifically about how Christ can be formed in us more fully, uh, expressed through us more vibrantly, and specifically, uh, what can that look like in the year ahead? Is there an area in my life that I can identify in the year ahead? I had. Now, in today's message, we're going to talk about three destructive attitudes, and we're going to look at the role of the mind, our mindset, our, our thought processes, uh, our attitudes, that really, the role they play in the whole process of spiritual formation. It's a greater role than you might think, and we're also going to see how our growth is connected to the growth of those around me that I'm in community with. Now, if you go to our website, myrgc.com, you can download handout notes to go with the message. You might find that helpful. Uh, there's also a link there. If you so choose, you can click the link and you can actually support the ministry of Robinson Grace Church and help us continually put out uh, the podcast messages. Now, in this message today, I'm going to share three very common destructive attitudes. And there's a good chance that one of the three might really hit close to home. I know one of them hit close to home for me. You might find that as well. Hopefully you'll find this message very encouraging, very helpful, and maybe a little challenging as well. Again, thanks for joining us. I hope you have a great weekend or a great week whenever you catch this. And uh, so let's get right to the message, dealing with destructive attitudes. There is a powerful scene in a novel written by South African writer Alan Payton. The story centers on a young police lieutenant, husband and father named Pieter. Pieter struggles with depression. He has what we would call father issues, and he's on the verge of an affair with a younger woman. His wife and children are out of town, so he goes to see his good friend, a man nicknamed Cappy. Among other things, the two friends share an interest in the hobby of stamp collecting. Pieter shows up intending to humble himself to repent and to make a full confession of his struggles, his temptations. As Alan Payton writes, Pieter knows what he should say. Cappy, I'm here to tell you of the deep misery of my life and you must help me before I am destroyed. You must tell me something in God's name. But he said none of those things. Instead, Pieter nonchalantly lies about why he really came. Cappy, I'm sick of the empty house, and I'm wanting to see some stamps. So they listen to music and look at stamps. Cappy knew that his friend had something deeper on his mind. So when Pieter started to leave, Cappy said, You can come every night if you wish. But Pieter walks out the door and does not return. And Alan Payton writes, Ah, if he could have told... And yet he could not tell. Pieter wants repentance without risk, without cost, without vulnerability. In regards to that story, think about this then. Repentance requires vulnerability. To repent means to open my heart to God and to others and say, I'm in over my head and I need you. Fascinating story and that is a really a great question to start with this morning, really, actually. Can you make that assertion? Or maybe better yet, how often do you make that assertion? How often do you open up your heart to others and boldly proclaim, help, <laughs> I'm in over my head and I need you? When's the last time you made that assertion? When's the last time you cried out and said, help, I'm in over my head, I need you? Um, I'll, I'll go first, I'll answer the question for us all. Yeah, not very often and not very easily. As I just mentioned a minute ago, I'm going in tomorrow for hernia surgery, and it's weighing on me a little bit, your first surgery. Like I told my brother, it's my first, hopefully it's my last. <laughs> Probably not, but hey, I'm not like people like Laura, you know? It's just like, you gotta get your yearly surgery in. But the reality is when you do that, so I have to have somebody there tomorrow take me in and be there all day and bring me home. And, and so my brother said he would do that for me, you know, and he'd come along. And, and it, you know, you have, you're vulnerable. You need somebody sometimes in life. You just have to 
have somebody there. Here's our central verse for this series, Galatians 4.19. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And of course, this is our key verse and the goal of this series and more specifically the last several weeks, the goal has been asking this question, where can Christ be formed in me more fully? Not just that Christ should be formed in me, but where? And we've been talking about what I have to let go of so I can move forward. What am I holding on to that's holding me back? And, and what, what exactly and where exactly can Christ be formed in me more fully? Today we're going to add another layer to this discussion of the last several weeks, another discussion. And today we're going to really look at, when, when you think about adding an, another layer to this discussion, um, we're going to talk about really this idea of, of, of kind of like, well, how does this happen? What does it look like? as Christ is formed in me? And what are some other things that have to happen for Christ to truly be formed in my life? Our key text today is Ephesians chapter 4. We were in Ephesians 4 earlier in the series at the end of the chapter. We're backing up to verse 11 today. And here's what Paul writes. We're going to see this really in, there's two sections of, of this passage we'll see today here's the first six verses and he gave and he gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of god to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of christ so that we may no longer be children excuse me tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in Love. What a great passage there. And I want you to just start here. Do you get the sense here of the formation of Christ that is taking place? Consider again the phrases that Paul used. To mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we would no longer be children. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. The body grows so that it builds itself up in love. So do you see the idea of formation here? And we could summarize it this way. This is all about the maturity of measuring up to Christ. And that's really another way to talk about really our Christ being formed in us. It's the maturity of measuring up to Christ. Now, here's our big idea today, and I think it's a great big idea. This is a, this is a really cool one, but look at this. As Christ is formed in you, and as Christ is formed in me, we are formed into Christ, right? We're the body of Christ. We're the church. And as Christ is formed in you and as Christ is formed in me, together we are formed into Christ. And what we're going to see this morning is a very simple reality when it comes to this idea of our spiritual growth, but we don't grow alone. We don't grow alone. We just don't. It's just not the way God wired us and God designed us. Okay, we grow together in Christ. And in fact, we could have the more, think about this, the more that I'm formed into Christ, the more he is formed into me. In other words, for Christ to be formed into me, I also need to be formed into Christ, into the body of Christ with you. The two are not mutually exclusive one of one another. And as one area of growth is happening, so is the other. They are complementary. Fail to grow in one way will affect my growth in the other. So that's the first half of our key text there. This, you see this idea of spiritual formation and how as Christ is formed in you and formed in me, we are formed together into Christ. Now the, there's a second half of this key text today we're going to look at and it deals with the spiritual formation and the mind of Christ. And this will just kind of help us understand again. Okay, how is this whole spiritual formation thing working? And there's some, some, some ideas in here we've talked about. But uh, let's look at the second half of this. Verse 17. Now, Paul goes on, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So note where he starts there. Note that he starts with the futility uh, of the mind, which gets us nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. And so just note that. Also note, as we read on, you'll see he'll describe the futility of the mind here. He also mentions the Gentiles, don't walk as the Gentiles do. That's simply a reference to those people groups that are not Jewish, of course, who were totally secular, secularized and had no spiritual insight or interest. That's the kind of description. So don't be like them. 
He goes on in verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And just note the, the status of these, their heart here, okay? They've got darkened minds, futile minds, but they note the status of their heart, right? And their hearts are uh, hard and their, their hearts are, uh, well... They're greedy to practice sin. They really like to practice. They just love to practice sin. And as we said last fall, remember, that's not us. We have new creation hearts. We really do. We really, in our heart of hearts as believers, we don't want to practice sin. We're not greedy to practice sin. We really don't. We think we do sometimes, but we don't really want to. And I think that's really key to understand that we think we want to, we really don't. It's that stinking thinking, it's the old destructive mindsets. He goes on in verse 20, but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul starts with a futile mindset that is detrimental to his spiritual formation, but then he ends with what? The renewal of the mind. Yes, he ends with this idea that Christ is formed in me as I renew my mind. One of the ways Christ is formed in me is I have to have my mind renewed. If I want to put off the old man, if I want to stop behaving like I was before I was a believer, before I was saved, I have to renew my mind. I have to think differently. Now, one of the most notable passages that talks about the renewal of the mind, we read it all the time, Romans 12. Let's look at it real quick here. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So two things in there, really, the idea of transformation, that we'd be transformed and that we'd renew our minds. And how are we transformed? By the renewal of our minds. In fact, you want a great, you want a great description of what transformation is? Transformation is Christ formation. As Christ is formed in me, I am transformed. That's the reality. I'm transformed for the whole world to see as Christ is formed in me. And that happens how? As I renew my mind. As I learn to think differently. Now, you know, it's interesting. It says we have to renew our mind. We don't have to renew our heart. Do you know why you don't have to renew your heart? Anybody know why? Because you got, yeah, you got the heart. Of, you got a new heart. You don't got to renew your heart. You got the heart of Jesus. You don't have to renew your heart. So, very good. Thank you, Steve. Now, a little curveball here, though. So, how does this happen? How do I renew my mind? That's the next question, right? How do I renew my mind? Let's jump to one other passage here. Get these passages out of the way. Then we're going to start putting this all together. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 2. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person who is saved judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So we have the mind of Christ. That's really key. That's really important to understand that we have the mind of Christ. And this how question comes up. How do I renew my mind? I renew my mind with the mind of Christ. Now there's a, there's a bit of a curveball in there. Somebody might have already asked it. Time out. If I have the mind of Christ, why do I have to renew my mind? Well, let me explain how that works. Think about it this way. Think about your heart, okay? When the Bible talks of your heart, it talks about this organ that pumps blood through your system, right? Well, no, not normally. When the Bible talks about your heart, it talks about the seat of your psyche, the center of your soul. It talks about who you are. And so when the Bible talks about our mind, it's not talking about our brain. We have a brain. We have an organ up here. We have an organ up here, a brain, that when we are saved, sorry to tell you, you don't get a new brain. 
We have a brain that is hardwired a certain way, stores memories, learns facts, feels pain and pleasure. And so we have this brain, right? And we're saved, but we still have this brain with all of our old memories, all of our old experiences, all of our old habits, hurts, and hang-ups, all of those old attitudes and beliefs, all those old ways of processing life and handling pressure. In fact, we asked, we talked a few weeks about letting go, right? That's what you have to let go of. A lot of that, that junk that's in your brain from yesterday, letting go involves letting go of those old attitudes and mindsets. You get a new brain, no, you don't get a new brain. You have your old brain with all those old mindsets and attitudes to let go of. So that's why then, think about this, I have an old brain, but I have the mind of Christ, which means I can think like Christ. I can use my brain and think like Christ does. That's the reality. I can rewire my old brain with the mind of Christ. So the how, again, is simple. I renew my mind with the mind of Christ. And heeding the mind of Christ, think about what it looks like then. It is having his mindset. It is having his attitude. It is having his perspective. It is hearing his word and following his counsel and trusting his judgments and growing in his knowledge. That is utilizing the mind of Christ and renewing my mind. Pretty cool stuff there. And remember again, we talked about it, right? My, my beliefs and my attitudes and my thoughts, they what? They shape my behavior. They shape how I behave. So if I want to transform myself and I want Christ formed in me, I got to change the way I think. I got to change those beliefs. I got to change those uh, thoughts and I got to change those attitudes. I got to rewire my brain. You could say it like this, to act like Christ, I need to think like Christ. Isn't that cool? Let's just take that one home, put it in your fridge. To act like Christ, I gotta think like Christ. And I think many times we wanna act like Christ, but we wanna think like we used to think. We wanna hold on to those old anger issues and those other uh, bad memories, and we wanna, we wanna cling to them, and then we wanna act like Christ, and it's really hard to do. Here's what we're gonna do now in the rest of our time today is we're gonna look at three destructive mindsets. The title of this message is Dealing with Destructive Mindsets. We're going to look at three destructive mindsets and we're going to frame them all in the context of this race. We're, we're running a race, right? The last three weeks, we've been running this race. Are you getting tired? We've been running for three weeks now. <laughs> anyway, we're going to talk about these three mindsets in the context of this race that we're running. And, by the way, we're going to tie them both into two things. We're going to tie these three destructive mindsets into this bold assertion Hey, I'm in over my head and I need you. And we're going to tie it into our big idea, which basically, as Christ is formed in you, and Christ is formed in me, we are formed into Christ. That's the reality. So let's look at these three, and I think you'll relate to them, and maybe one will jump out of the page more to you today. And if I speak the one that you're like, oh, boom, that's me, and I'll circle it and go home and pray about it this week. But here's the first destructive mindset, and it's this one. I wish, I wish I could run. I know there's a race. I know there's this race going on and God's got this race and I'm supposed to run. I wish I could run. I can't run. This is the mindset that uh, basically feels unworthy. This is the mindset that defines us by our sin or our performance. This is the all too common mindset that says I'm really not worthy to run. This is that self-condemning mindset that sees myself as a dirty, rotten, wretched sinner. And I just can't get past it and I've got to get in there and I've got to rewire my brain to think like Christ because Christ doesn't think that of you. You know that, right? And, and I'm surprised at this, I'll be honest, because I think there are many. I see this today. I see this today with, with pastors and Bible teachers. It's like some people think it is noble and humble to look at yourself and say, oh, I'm just this wretched sinner. And the Bible does not call us that. Now, I'm going to spend minimal time here because we, we deal with this a lot. But look at what it says again. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, just note there, he's given you five different kind of pastoral types. Those five, those five names he mentions there, apostles, prophets, evangelists, they're just like five different, they're pastors in five different roles. And some pastors excel at some, maybe all, some excel at just a couple of them. But that's kind of the reality there. But, but look at this. Why did he give us those pastors? To do what? To equip the who? Who are the saints? Right. 
So you're a saint. Just get that. I know I tell you that all the time, but I, you may not always act like a saint or feel like a saint, but you are indeed a saint. And of course, what is the saint? But it's the Greek word hagias, meaning holy one, meaning set apart, meaning you have been set apart to run. So don't ever get up there and say, oh, I wish I could run, but I'm just such a loser of a Christian. I just, so much sin in my life. Well, yeah, let go of the sin so you can run, but you are qualified just to get in the race and run. You are set apart by Christ to run. You see, we are not called wretched sinners in the Bible. We're called saints. We are blood-brought, we are blood-brought, holy, righteous, and pure. We're sanctified and set apart for the formation of Christ. All my behaviors and mindsets might not be sanctified yet. So I gotta, I gotta, yeah, I gotta renew my mind. I'm working on that. And can I just say, it is not humble or noble, or even sound theology to tell yourself you are a dirty, rotten, wretched sinner. It is not. Now, I, I just, there's one great ap- application that God showed me this week with this that I want to use this as a teaching tool here a minute. Okay, I, I say it's not noble, humble to, to call yourself a dirty, rotten, wretched sinner. Is that always true? Is there ever a time when it's good to call yourself a dirty, rotten, wretched sinner? Can you think of any time when you should? Huh? When you are. When you don't know Christ and you're a dirty, rotten, wretched sinner, it's really good to say, look in the mirror and say, you know what? I'm a dirty, rotten, wretched sinner. I need saved. And to respond to the gospel. And we respond to the gospel and we believe uh, who the Bible says God is and who Jesus is and what he did. And we believe what the Bible says about us and we're separated from the Holy God. And we believe that in our heart and we receive Christ into our, into our soul and we are saved and we're a brand new person. What just happened in that illustration? What I believed up here shaped my what? My behaviors. What we believe, what we think, our attitudes will shape our behaviors. If I get to the point of believing, hey, I'm a dirty, rotten, wretched sinner. I believe it in my heart. I need Christ. It shapes my behaviors and I come to Christ and I get saved. And once we're saved, let's reverse that. Let's realize I need to tell myself now that I'm saved who I am in Christ because it will shape my behavior. Does it make sense? How that makes sense? Because we can beat ourselves up a lot and look at ourselves and think we're something we're really not. Our attitudes, and I say this all the time, our thoughts and beliefs will shape our behaviors. So if you are saved, if you're a new creation in Christ, keep telling yourself, I'm a new creation in Christ. I am holy, set apart to run the race. Now I'm going to do one thing today. I'm going to give us three questions, not at the end of the message, but we're going to stop. We're going to hang here for 30 seconds. Here's the question. Where specifically do I tend to define myself by my sin? Or by contrast, how do I see myself or reinforce my identity in Christ? Just stop there for a minute. Just get in your own personal space. What is that sin in your life that you just can't get past, that you just keep defining yourself by it? Maybe it's an anger issue. Maybe it's a resentment issue. Maybe it's a jealousy issue or an, an envy issue. Maybe it's a lust issue. Whatever it could be. Maybe it's a greed issue. I don't know. What, what is it in your life? Don't let it define you anymore. And realize that we can, yes, we can let these things go. We can indeed let these things go. Let's look at the second destructive behavior this morning as we go on. Second one is this. First one is, I, boy, I wish I could run. Here's the second one. I wish I could run like you. Oh, man. I mean, I wish, I really do. I mean, I, I wish I could run like Billy Graham. I mean, look at Billy Graham. Look at the life he lived and the race he ran. Oh, if I could just be Billy Graham. I wish I could run like Billy Graham. But I'm not. I'm Billy Russell. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> That's the reality. But, you know, I think we do. This is the mindset that compares, my, compares me with you and feels inferior. I compare myself with you and I feel inferior. Uh, this is the mindset that simply does not measure up. I just don't measure up. I wish I could run like you. I w- wish I could run as fast as you and as gracefully as you and as determined as you. And, oh, yeah, I wish I was you. Ever been there? I think we've been there. We've found people we've looked at and said, oh, I wish that was me. 
but it's not me. This week, uh, we had an exercise I was doing with the kids at WOW, and so I gave them scenarios, and if the, they were sitting down, and if the scenario was something that praised Jesus, they were to jump up and say, amen. And if it was something that opposed Jesus, they were supposed to jump up and say, boo. And a lot of them were straightforward. There were a couple that were, I'm like, well, they get this right away or not. And the one was this. The one was comparing myself to others. They all jumped up right away. Boo! Those kids got it. They understood. You know what? Do we get it as adults? Do we get it? Yeah, comparing ourselves to others. Boo! It doesn't glorify God at all. Again, here's what the text says. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And one thing that jumped out at me was this, this passage takes us beyond compare. It takes us beyond compare. Where, look at this, we only have to measure up to Christ. I don't got to measure up to you and you don't got to measure up to me. I got to measure up to Christ. He's the standard. And I'm maturing and Christ is being formed in me so I can measure up to Christ. It's never about measuring up to the expectations of others. It's about the fact that God has saved me and called me and gifted me and is in the process of equipping me to serve him. I am just who I need to be for the race I am called to run. You see, I don't have to run your race and you don't have to run my race. We have to run the race we've been given. In fact, that's what the formation of Christ is all about. It's about measuring up to Christ. Think about it this way, right? We talk about being filled internally by the Holy Spirit. And the more that I am filled internally by the Holy Spirit, the more I'm filled internally, the more I measure up to Christ. How cool is that? I don't need to measure up to you. You see, I don't need to be more like you, and you don't need to be more like me. We need to be more like Christ. So, the question is, how do I measure up to Christ? Well, of course, I renew my mind, and I deal with those destructive mindsets. Here's three simple ways I think we tend to compare ourselves to each other, though. Let's look at them. First, the faith of Christ. And I just say, my faith is not as strong as your faith. Man, my faith is just not as strong as your faith. I wish it was, but it's just not as strong as your faith. A minute ago, in the passage in Ephesians, he talked about attaining the unity of the faith. So keep that thought in mind that we're striving for this attaining the unity of faith. Now, we've talked about faith in this series, right? We've talked about the fact that we are saved, what? We, be, we believe in Jesus, but we don't have the faith of Jesus. That we're saved by the faith of Christ, not by our faith in Christ. We've talked about that. Okay, we also saw this though in Romans chapter 12 earlier in the series. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. That's kind of like the, the other side of the comparison trap. That's when you're superior. We're dealing with the inferior side here. But he goes on, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So here's the deal. God has given every one of us a measure of faith so we can go out and use our gifts and fulfill our calling for his glory. I have all the faith that I need. All the faith that I need. He goes on. For as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So you see, Paul says we're all members of the same body. We all have different parts and different functions in the body. And we've all been given a measure of faith to match our ministry so we can go out and we can serve the body. We can serve each other. We can use our gifts and function for his glory. Remember, I am saved by the faith of Christ, not by, by my faith in Christ. And how do I then serve the Lord? By the faith of Christ, not my faith, barely my faith in Christ. In fact, part of my maturity is developing this faith. Developing my faith in me. Developing my faith muscle. That's the reality. So in Ephesians, Paul is talking about attaining to the unity of the faith. And so look at it again. 
as you grow your faith and as I grow my faith, we grow our faith together in Christ, right? That's the way it works. That's the way it's intended. And that's one of the ways that my faith will grow stronger as it grows with yours and is intertwined with yours. The point is, my faith is no less than your faith. We've all been given the measure of faith to use our gift and fulfill our calling. If there's any discrepancy between your faith and someone else's faith, it would simply be this. Maybe they're, maybe they're developing their faith more and using their faith more and growing their faith muscle more than you. That can happen. But you have all the faith you need. You never need to compare yourself and say, oh, I wish I had the faith that that person had. Because look what they did. You have all the faith you need to do whatever God has called you to do. Because it is his faith, not yours. We go on. Here's a second area of comparison. The gift of the Spirit. And this is when I say, boy, my gifting is not as special as yours. I mean, okay, I got some gifts. But man, you have the gifts. I wish I had your gifts. I wish I could have your gifts. When we are saved, we are given a spiritual gift. It's given to us again. It's his God. He gives us the faith. He gives us the gift. You see a trend here? You know, it's kind of like it's all God, not me. He gives it to me. And so still at times I look back and I think my gift's not as special or as valuable as yours. And that's a destructive mindset. Here's what it says. 1 Corinthians 12 weighs in. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone to teach. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. So we see here that we all have gifts to function in the body and note what that spiritual gift is. Did you catch what the spiritual gift is? Did you catch it? It's really cool because we don't often understand spiritual gifts. Your gift is the Holy Spirit operating in and expressing himself through you. The, Holy, the, the gift of the Spirit is the Holy Spirit in you. It's just the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. That's what the spiritual gift is. So what does that do to this idea of comparing? If I'm comparing my gifts to your, what, what am I doing? I'm comparing the Holy Spirit in me to the Holy Spirit in you. How crazy is that? Because what does Paul say in verse 4? Now there are varieties of gifts, but we all have what? The same Spirit. <laughs> so I'm comparing the Spirit in you. To, I wish I had the Spirit you have. <laughs> well, we got the same Spirit. He just shows up differently in different people's lives and he shows up in your way a certain way because he wants to use you a certain way and he's given you the faith so you can go out and do what he has asked you to do. So we're not comparing gifts, but we're comparing the Holy Spirit. And uh, here's the third one. The, 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 the most dangerous maybe of the comparison traps comes in this third one, the call of the Father. And this is when I say my calling is not as important as yours. Well, okay, I mean, I, I could say that, right? Well, I'm not Billy Graham. I mean, I mean, look who Billy Graham preached to, you know? And we can all do that. My calling is not that significant. Well, that's, again, a destructive mindset. We all are saved and we all are given a calling from God. God wants to use us in our corner of the world, wherever he puts us, for his glory. So he gives us a spiritual gift and a measure of faith so we can fulfill our calling. Now I get it, sometimes we may feel less important than someone else, but trust me, we aren't. No one is more important, and that even works in the church. No one is more important. Many times people look in the church and think, well, the pastor's the most important person in the church, right? I mean, okay, I might be the most vocal, and I might be the most visible person in the, in the church. I might tell the best jokes in the church. Which, by the way, I got I to just tell you this one. Have you heard about the one? The guy's walking his dog down the, down the street, and uh, up ahead comes a plainclothes police officer, and he's got a, a canine police dog. And, and so this dog had just stopped and kind of did his business on somebody's mailbox, and he looks up, and he sees this canine coming this way, and he's walking towards him, and he looks up at his master and barks at him a couple times, and they turn down a side street out of the way. Well, you know what he barked and said to his master, right? He said, look out, there's a cop. Okay. Anyway. The fact of the matter is, no one's more important. The pastor is certainly not more important than anybody else in the church, and we need to know that. Just because I'm up front here more, 
because I'm more visible and vocal does not mean I'm more important. Here's how, here's how the Bible weighs in on this. Listen to what the Bible says specifically about this. 1 Corinthians 12 again. 22, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that it lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So you may feel inferior, and God says, no, you are indispensable. You may think I'm insignificant, I'm just a knee in the body, and God says, no, if you're the knee, and you're holding the church up by prayer, you are really important. You might think, well, you know, I'm just a kidney. I'm not really seen, right? Kidneys aren't to be seen, but kidneys are very important. And you're just as important. Your, your, your importance is incredibly important. And so nobody is more important than somebody else. Sometimes people just aren't seen. I remember a while back, somebody on Facebook messaged me and thanked me for the birthday card. I'm like, birthday card? Okay, I didn't send you a birthday card, but I wasn't going to admit that to him. And then I realized there's somebody in the church, and I won't say who, that is sending birthday cards out for the church. And I think I know who it is, and I think uh, somehow someone said something that I think I know who it is, but I just thought that was pretty cool. And so you know what? Maybe we're not always seen and known, but the reality is we are important, and we have... We touch and we bless people. And this is a person that doesn't come to church a lot here and they're here on occasion and they got a card and thanked me for it and I thought that was pretty cool. Anyway, um, maybe I'm all wrong about that, but I think. Let me show you one other thing here. And this is so important that we don't have this mindset because it will limit our spiritual growth. It will, it will really limit our spiritual growth if we, um, if we don't realize our importance in the body and grow together. But, but here's one last thing in, in verse 14. It says this. It talked about the, the deceitful schemes being carried about by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And I thought about Satan's schemes. And um, I thought about Satan's schemes there. And uh, here's the thought that, that I was thinking about was that that's his scheme is to get us comparing ourselves to each other. And, and, and that's so, so destructive. And you know when he first used this this, this scheme? He used it in the Garden of Eden with Eve, did he not? What's the first, what's the first thing he told Eve when he tempted her with that piece, piece, piece first or piece, first piece of fruit? There you go. What, 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 what did he say to Eve when he tempted her with that first piece of fruit? If you eat this fruit, you will be like God. He compared her to God. He said, you'll be like God. Don't you want to be like God? She already was like God. She was created in his image. But that's his scheme, and it's a very destructive scheme. So we need to be aware of that. We need to be aware of that and know who we are in Christ. Getting personal here. Where in your life do you compare yourselves to others and feel inferior? Where in your life do you compare yourselves to others and just feel like, I don't measure up? Well, stop. Because you're... Your whole goal is to have Christ formed in you and to measure up to Christ and not to measure up to each other and not to put yourself down because God has given you the faith and the gift and the calling so you can run the race for his glory. Oh, and he's given you himself, his righteousness, so you are certainly... Here's the last destructive mindset today. I wish I, wish I could run... I wish I could run like you. And then there's those of us that say, I wish I could run alone, man. <laughs> I want to run alone, please. This is the independent mindset that says I don't really need you. This is the mindset, honestly, that is quietly condescending. I got this on my own. Now, I'm thinking if you're here this morning, as far as that quietly condescending remark, I think if you're here this morning, you're tuned in, you're probably not, you're not there because you're here because you're not running the race alone, because you're plugged in, because you're listening, because you're, you're growing. That's what it's all about. But we still need to check our motives and ask ourselves sometimes, am I one of those lone runners? And if I am, it can be 
quietly condescending. Here's the truth. I would say this. If you wish you could run alone, you probably are. If you wish you could run the race alone, you probably are running the race alone. In fact, you're probably silently communicating to people, hey, back off. I run alone. I don't run with a pack. I run alone. Here's what God says again, verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which is, it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You don't grow alone. If you're going to run alone, you're not going to grow alone. And this again, this idea here is the, is the reverse of the other side of the comparison trap. It really is. It's now, it's like, well, I, I don't need you. I'm superior to you. I'm good enough without you. I can handle this on my own. And we need to know that. Instead of making that bold assertion that, hey, I'm in over my head and I need you. It's like, yeah, I don't need you. I'm good. I got this. I can do this. And that's not the way God has wired us or designed us. And this is exactly that plotting and scheming. That's the second thing that Satan did in the Garden of Eden, the comparison trap. What's the second thing? That he told Eve. He said, you will be like God and you will what? You will know right from wrong and good from evil. When I'm done, when you're done eating this fruit, you won't even need God anymore. (laughs) You won't even need him. You'll know right and wrong. You'll know good and evil. You'll be like God. Hey, you'll be your own God. How cool is that? And that's exactly, that, that is just exactly the wrong way God has designed things. This is the mindset, as I just said, that is quietly condescending. I don't need you. Why would I need you? And can you see how we're quietly putting the other person down? Quietly saying, I don't need you. Now, if that sounds a little harsh, that quietly condescending remark sounds harsh, let me just be honest. I think that tends to describe me. I think I tend to run alone. I think like, if I, I'll be honest. If I could drive to the hospital tomorrow and drive home, I probably would. <laughs> I'd say, no, I don't need anybody. I got it. <laughs> I'd drive home from surgery and hopefully I wouldn't get pulled over for... <laughs> oh, anyway. But I do. I think that's kind of me. So, yeah, I'm kind of pointing my fingers at myself. We talk about walking, you know, this issue of faith, walking. You know, if you walk by sight, we talked about it last week. If we walk by sight, you're going to tend to, honestly, you're going to tend to kind of run on your own. You're going to kind of tend to kind of just think, yeah, I got this. It's okay. I don't need you. If you walk by faith, what's going to happen if I walk by faith? Well, if I walk by faith, okay, I may not believe that I need Wayne, But you know what? God believes I need Wayne. Right? And faith is believing what? What What Jesus believes. I may not believe I need you, but Jesus believes that I need you. Jesus, am I going to trust the conviction of God's word or what I see and feel? If I trust what I see and feel, I'm going to run alone. If I trust the conviction of what God says, God says, I need you. And oh, you know what else God says? You need me. That's the way it works. So walk by faith. Here's the reality. If we walk by faith, we won't run alone. That's another cool one. If you walk by faith, you will not run alone. So here's the question I think this morning, really, who is God presently using in your life to grow you? Who does God speak to you through in a personal sense? Who does God use to give you spiritual advice and counsel? And there are people that speak into my life. Trisha speaks into my life. She would probably like say, he never listens to me. <laughs> I think most of us as spouses think our spouses, they never listen to me. But I think we do more than we let on. And my brother, I had my brother on the phone this week. He was talking to me. He said some things. He said some things he wanted me to hear. You know, when you say something, you want him to hear it, but you're not telling him you want him to hear it. And I heard it. <laughs> you know how that works, Right? And that's good. And then my brother Jody called me this week asking for counsel and advice. We need each other 
Just know that. Two other passages to close with today. And, and these are two passages we, we're going to just apply them in a kind of a different framework to kind of use them as glasses to see this issue. 2 Corinthians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so... Through Christ, we share, we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. And so here's this thing. There's this interdependence building, right? I go through stuff in life, and I deal with stuff. I go through adversity and persecution. And then as I handle that, and as I, then I can help someone else goes through that same exact thing. They go through persecution, adversity, some trial, and I can help them as they go through that exact same situation. And so think about that. Let's kind of apply this to the last couple of weeks and and what this can kind of look like, okay? He goes on, our hope for you is unshaken for we know that you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. So they can share in the comfort. But here's here's the reality of this. Look at this. Uh, We unpack our baggage so we can help others unpack theirs. I go through stuff and I go through adversity and I go through difficulties and, and I, I unpack my stuff and I deal with my stuff and then I can go over here and I can help somebody unpack their stuff. And probably to unpack mine, God's going to send me somebody to help me unpack it. Because that's the way God works. We don't unpack our stuff on our own. So we unpack our baggage, we find comfort, so we can help others unpack theirs and find comfort. And that's part of the race. We're running together and part of the race is helping people unpack their baggage and let go of that stuff, those destructive mindsets and attitudes and beliefs that are holding them back. That's the reality. And again, I don't believe it's God's intent that we unpack our baggage alone. I don't. I mean, in the passage there, God comforts us, he says, so we can comfort you. But God comforts us how? Through other people. He sends people into our life to help us unpack our baggage. And there's one other side to this thing as well. One thing you don't want to do, because if you do this, it comes across as judgmental or hypocritical, but just don't do this. Don't unpack someone else's baggage before you unpack yours. Right? We can be good at that. Oh, you got this issue in your life. Let me help you, you know, and you got the same issue in your life. Unpack yours and then, in fact, you know, it's kind of like, kind of like, you ever see this scenario? You know, they send the, they send the white-collar office person down to the factory, you know, 15 states away, and he walks in and tells everybody on the floor how to do their job more efficiently. <laughs> yeah, that always works. Like, yeah, you, you know what we're doing here. You're never here. You don't know what's going on here. Let me give you one other passage here that will help this. And This is a passage from Jesus and one of his more famous passages. But just look at it in this context. What... Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I saw something in here I never saw before. This is an if-then passage. Did you catch that? This is an if-then passage. If I will deal with my baggage, and if I'll take that log out of my eye, you know what, then I can what? then I can help you with the speck in your eye. And the reality is I think that what I need to do is I need to look in my life and I need to see, okay, this, this is a log in my eye. This, that's, I'm not able to see clearly and run my race clearly and I can't help others clearly because I got this log in my eye. And I look at you and you've got a speck. Now you're over here and actually when you look at things and look at me, you need to look at that speck and say, this is a log in my eye. This is a baggage. To me, this is a log. I mean, to you it's a log. To me, it's a speck. Do you you follow that? And we need to look at things from our perspective. It's a log. And so we deal with the log. We deal with our baggage. We deal with our issues. We deal with those destructive mindsets and those attitudes and those beliefs and that sin and those memories and whatever it is and we deal with them and we let go of them. So we can go over and we can say, you know what, I've been through this. I see you got a little problem here. The person's thinking, hey, this ain't no little problem, man. This is like a, a log. And that's the way it's supposed to work. I think that's the way it's supposed to work. 
Getting personal then, one last question this morning. Who in your life besides me, besides me as pastor, besides these sermons, who in your life is helping you grow spiritually? Who is helping you unpack your baggage? Really, sometimes it's it's just little packages, little baggage, little stuff from the week. Maybe it's a package or baggage you've been hanging on to for 30 years and you just won't let it go. Well, who, who, who is helping you? Because that's scriptural. And you cannot help somebody with the speck in their eye if you don't get the log out of your own eye. So what do we learn today? Let's run through this real quick, and then there's a video I want us to see. Uh, the, bold ass, the bold assertion, I'm in over my head and I need you. Let's just maybe once this week Pick up the phone and call somebody and say, hey, I'm in over my head, I need you. Would you pray for me? Or can we get together and talk? Today's big idea is Christ is formed in you and as Christ is formed in me, we are formed into Christ. And we learn that, yes, Christ is formed in me as I renew my mind, as I get rid of those destructive mindsets. As I think with the mind of Christ, my mind is renewed. And how, of course, yes, I renew my mind with the mind of Christ. I think like he does. I've still got my old brain. It needs to be renewed. To act like Christ is to think like Christ. I need to think like Christ. And then we saw these. I wish I could run the mindset that feels unworthy and just know, yes, you are not a dirty, rotten, wretched sinner. You are a holy, redeemed, sanctified, set-apart child of God. And God has a race for you to run. And I wish I could run like you, the mindset that compares me with you and feels inferior. And yes, again, I only have to compare myself to Christ. He's the measure. I'm measuring up to Christ. He's the standard. That's it. And then number three, beyond compare here, I guess, where I only have to measure up to Christ. And number three, I wish I could run alone. The independent mindset that doesn't need you. The quietly condescending mindset. And just get rid of it because we do. Let's be honest, we do. We need each other for Christ to be formed in us as fully as possible. And so if we walk by faith, we won't run alone. And yes, we unpack our baggage so we can help others unpack theirs. Wow. Good stuff. God, is good stuff for us, right? His word is full of good stuff. Let's watch this video and then we'll close with it today. Lord God, thank you today for your word. And God, we just impress upon each one of us the significance of letting go, the significance of unpacking our baggage, of finding someone to help us unpack our baggage because we can't run the race and we can't reach out and touch this broken world around us if we haven't dealt with our baggage. So help us do that. Help us understand the trajectory we're on. Help us understand this, this concept that as I'm growing, and as, as my neighbor's growing, that we're growing together here in, to Christ, that we aren't growing alone. Bless everybody's week with your grace and your mercy and your joy. And um, walk through us through whatever, uh, whatever battles or challenges or adversity or joys we face. Give you all the honor and glory and praise in everyone's set.